your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Junior lefty kicks, deals a pitch, swing and a miss. Kate Povich has fan 10 and a new career high outing. He's made it through seven shutout here in the home opener. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, another week of Sports Nightly. And we have Husker football to talk about. How nice is that? Spring ball ready to go. Press conferences today. They'll be out of the practice field tomorrow with practice number one of 15, culminating in the spring game coming up on May the 1st at Memorial Stadium. Tickets for that go on sale on Thursday to season ticket holders Friday to the general public, and they have held back at least 7,500 tickets for the general public for the Friday sale. So there will be tickets available on Friday if you are interested in going to the game on May the 1st, and I know many of you are and will be excited to go out and see the Huskers, even though it's just a practice, right, just a scrimmage, inter-squad scrimmage. People love going and seeing the Huskers anytime they can. We're going to hear a lot from the head coach. He had a press conference today, went about 25 minutes, answered a whole variety of questions. Uh, we'll dive into some of that. Uh, hour number two, we'll talk some Husker baseball. Will head coach Will Bolt will be with us for the entire hour. And we'll talk about the Huskers getting their first four-game conference sweep since 1994. Let me put the asterisk that that was the next to the last year of the Big Eight when four-game conference series were a regular thing. We went to the Big 12, and they were not. And then, obviously, we've not been playing those in the Big Ten. But still, it sounds kind of cool to be able to say that Huskers just walked all over the Gophers throughout the weekend, and people are kind of getting fired up about this baseball team. So the head coach will be with us for an hour in hour number two. Ben, we'll have our weekend rewind, and we'll name our weekend winners for you as well. And obviously, we want to hear from you. You dialing us up on our Sports Sunday hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Those phone numbers, 531-500-4686. The same number for you to shoot off a text if you have some thoughts about Husker football or Husker baseball with us here tonight. Let's uh, start, Ben, with the head coach. It was great to hear from him. He had not had a media availability since early February when he did a, a press conference after the second signing period, and Nebraska did announce on that day a couple of uh, transfers into the program. Uh, but other than that, it's been almost two months since we've heard anything from him. So he covered a wide variety of topics. And I think I think Tim nailed it, for me at least. The biggest thing that I took out of it was that Mike Dawson is taking over the special teams units. Um, so he will get apparently get that title added to his uh, moniker of just being outside linebackers coach, but also special teams coordinator. He has done that in the past, and he will take that over now. To me, that that was maybe the most newsworthy thing of the press conference. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think there were probably just a, a lot of loose ends to tie up otherwise. Um, you know, just some – general info typical every year spring type questions but um yeah really interesting to hear that because that's one thing that we know needs to get better um we need to get you know locked up the special teams mm-hmm. particularly the you know the, the the kickoff unit to me is priority 1a when it comes to special teams two years in a row 
Nebraska has been snake bitten by kickoff returns for touchdowns. And you just got to find a way to cut that out. You can't be giving teams free points um, in this day and age when when they're very rare. Um, you know, the, the rules are, are basically catered to make touch bats, backs a thing. And, you know, it's two years in a row where Nebraska has been bitten by kickoff returns. You know, that Rutgers game, it was to the point where – we're on the broadcast suggesting maybe just kicking the ball out of bounds. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how bad it was. Uh-huh. So you just got to find ways to, to get better in that area. The, the, the place kicking um, was, was so much better. And, you know, I think we all feel good about Connor Culp. I think the punting by and large was a lot more consistent, um, but kick and kickoff and kick return just need to be more, more prevalent and, and more of a strength for this team because, um, you can't you can't have games determined on those two units for the worse. I mean, it's great if you can swing a game by doing something great, but you just can't have, you know, it's like, you know, think of the baseball analogy. You, you can't be kicking the ball all over the infield, you know. You got to you got to you can make make good plays with your defense and change games there, but you know, if you if you're booting the ball in the infield or in this case, you know, allowing kickoff returns for a touchdown, it's just not going to be a good situation. And and part of that is can somebody unseat Connor Culp in the kickoff duties, right? I mean, he just didn't have quite the leg to get the ball consistently into the end zone where the other teams are just taking touchbacks. And so can they find somebody, and I think they've got a couple walk-ons, who could do that and not kick the ball out of bounds. You don't want that. You don't want to kick it out of bounds and get the ball up to the 35-yard line. But get the ball into the end zone so you get a lot more touchbacks. And then you just eliminate that thing from the you – know, but I'm with you. I think at, A number one is kickoff returns. That that has swung a handful of games in the negative direction for the Huskers over the last couple of years. So hopefully that will happen Um and just better coverage units. And I want I want to see Nebraska get make some plays of their own in the kick return game. I want to see Nebraska bringing kicks back out to midfield or or housing them or on the punt returns, at least get it, you know, make make a 15, 20-yard return. And I thought Cam Taylor-Britt did bust a couple last year, and those were big. Those were big when he was able to do that. So can they get more consistently in that, in, in that area? Because the, as we've learned – these games, are, there's so many close games anymore in the Big Ten Conference, and the, the slightest weakness is going to be exposed. And for Nebraska the last couple of years, it has been special teams that, that have been exposed in that way. We'll hear, some, we'll hear the cut from Coach coming up here in a little bit when he talks about Mike Dawson getting uh, the, that duty. Uh, it, uh, to a man, whether it was Scott Frost or Eric Chenander who came on later than the head coach, that you can just tell they're so excited, and they're what, are they calling them the super seniors, the guys, the guys that have opted to come back and play another year, and that's JoJo Dolman and Will Honus and the safeties and Dismuke and Williams, uh, and up front you've got uh, Ben Stilley. They're ecstatic to get them back, and I'm not putting Cam Tater Britt in that category because Cam was going to be bad. I mean, the only reason Cam would have left is if he left early for the NFL. He opted to come back and fill out his four years of eligibility for the Huskers. So I guess you could throw him in there too, but he wouldn't be considered one of the super seniors. But you could just tell there's a there's an excitement level with Scott Frost and certainly with Eric Chenander that those guys have come back, and, and that was all verbalized today as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, th- those guys are going to be heavily relied upon in, in a lot of different areas, not just on the field and their production, but, 
you know, the culture was thrown around a lot today and, you know, just that, that, that type of attitude, mentality, leadership off the field is going to be just as important. So you've got a lot of really important voices back specifically on the defensive side of the ball that are going to be great grooming tools and, and hopefully building that, get toward a building that right culture that the coaching staff wants in place. And, and, you know, for that, for just as valuable as they are on the field, you know, to get those guys in the right mindset, those younger players, it's just as important in my opinion. So they're, they're, they're super seniors for a reason, not just because of the title, but um, you know, that that's, that's how valuable they're going to be to this football team moving forward. I, I really do think that, uh, you know, in the end, we're going to look back on this year and some of these decisions made by some of these guys on the defensive side of the ball could be a turning point for this program. And it's something that you just hope you can hang their hat on because we know, you know, I've got must have baseball in the brain, you know, thinking of back to baseball with guys like Luke Roskin, who had a great weekend and, um, you know, Joe Acker, who's been great mojo, you know, we made the comment on the broadcast. We know what they are. And I feel like that same logic could be applied here on the, on the defensive side of the ball. We know what Deontay Williams is. Markel Dismuke is, we know what uh, Ben Stilley can do and Will Honus. We just, we know what we have out of them. And so I think, you know, they are going to improve in the spring, but you feel really good. Be- that's part of the reason why you feel so good is because of, you know, all of the plays that they've made on the field for this team over the years. Right. You know, the other the other thing that was newsworthy was, and Scott Frost mentioned this and, and Matt Lubick expounded on it later, that Samari Toure, the young man from Montana, the grad transfer into the program, he was an FCS All-American. He's six foot three, Ben, and they're they're talking about putting him in the slot. How about that? I mean, when I hear that, I'm thinking, I mean, usually you think of a slot receiver as those diminutive guys, the J.D. Spielmans, the Wandale Robinsons. You put a six three guy in the slot, and as Matt Lubick said, it's a lot easier to find a six three body than it is a five nine body over there for the quarterback. And they believe he's physical enough and tough enough to play that position. Um, man, that'll be interesting, won't it? Yeah, and I think it seems so shocking because of who's played that spot for Nebraska <laughs> yeah. the last four years. You know, I think uh, you know Wandale and JD weren't setting any records for for their size, and so this <laughs> just seems like such a drastic move because of Samari's size. But really, all that matters is your skill set. You know, if you've got guys that you know can can play on the inside that have outside type bodies, you throw them in there and you see what they can do. And I think the other part to this, Greg, is this is a, I think this is a different conversation. If Nebraska lacks size on the outside, like a couple of years ago, you know, if Samari comes into the program two years ago, I don't think there's any chance he's playing on the inside because of just the lack of size. But right. when you throw guys like Omar Manning and Levi Falk and Xavier Betts on the outside who are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", there's not that pressure, that added pressure to put somebody big on the outside to go get those 50-50 balls. You can be a little more, bit more choosy with your personnel. And, and I think that's kind of what it – you know, Coach Frost was attributing to when he was talking about the wide receiver talent being in a really good place. That's part of the reason why is because you have that flexibility to do what you want with your guys when you have that type of size on the outside. I'll add a couple more names. Oliver Martin, who apparently has tested off the charts. And then the three incoming freshmen are all 6'3 or taller. It's interesting to me because you go back to the day that, that Wandale made the announcement that he was leaving, and it was a crushing loss because we all love Wandale, and the coaches love Wandale, and the teams love Wandale, and he's a heck of a player. But 
I think by next fall, that could be a real strength of this football team is that position if these things come together. If Toure is as good as we think he can be, if Omar Manning can get be a help for this team, if Oliver Martin continues to improve, Will Nixon gets back. You mentioned Betts. He's already shown he's got playmaking ability. Um, Falk made catches last year for this team. I, this thing, that group could end up being a strength of this team in eight or nine months. Could. they got to go prove it. They've got to go get it done. But I don't know that we would have thought that back on that cold January day when we had to announce that Wandale was leaving. But I think it could flip. I think the potential for it to flip is there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's that, – that kind of contributes to the overarching theme of the spring, no? I yeah. mean, like like – I think there are a lot of areas where, where where you could say the same thing, and that's definitely at the top of the list. And, you know, when we were kind of thinking about spring ball today, there's about four different areas of this team. We've already talked about two of them, right? Special yeah. teams, wide receiver are, you know, I think that that's part of the intrigue of spring football every year is because you have these things that are just kind of gnawing at your brain from last year, and then you throw in the personnel tweaks to it, and you're like, huh? Well, I wonder how this is going to go. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's part of the intrigue with spring ball is, you know, it's like, you know, you ever have those textbooks in school and math that kind of have the answers at the back of the book, that, but they're only kind of half answers. It's like, okay, you get to peek at the back of the book for, for just part of the answer, but, you, you know, the, the whole show your work aspect of it comes in the fall. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at is we're going to start to see a little bit of what this team's going to look like personnel-wise in a lot of different areas. You know, receiver, running back, there, there, are, there are so many intrigues with this team, and we've already highlighted a couple of them. But I think what you said there just kind of fits into the, the mold of Nebraska Spring Ball 2021. Yeah, going to be interesting in a couple of weeks, and uh, we're looking forward to covering it throughout uh, the next month, uh, getting up to that May 1st spring game. All right, uh, Scott Frost, press conference earlier today, uh, went through a myriad of topics, and the first one right out of the gate was to talk about the Oklahoma situation that popped out of, up, up a couple of weeks ago where word came out that Nebraska was trying to maybe get out of that game or move it back a year or something to try to get another home game. Here's what the head coach had to say about it. Yeah, I think in general there, there's been ongoing discussions for a while about what's best for the program. Um, I think uh, a lot of options were probably on the table. Um, you know, our, our program, I give Bill Moose a lot of credit. I think we had fewer furloughs and layoffs and salary reductions than almost anybody in our league or in the country. Um, I think Bill did a great job navigating us through that. Uh, that being said, there was a 40 to $50 million budget hit to our athletic department, and I think there was a lot of discussions on um, ways to help uh, help with that. I think they looked into a lot of different things. Um, I think the biggest thing for me as a football coach is we, um, we were scheduled to play in Ireland. Week zero made a lot of sense playing overseas to take week one off and get your feet back under you when you get stateside. Uh, now that that game's not overseas, um, Sure, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have a, a week one bye. Um, I think bringing our players back a week early and then asking them to play one game and, and sit out doesn't make a lot of sense. And the biggest thing for me is I, I think the city of Lincoln starving, our, our uh, local economy starving uh, for home games and getting in the stands to see uh, our football team. Um, for recruiting, too, uh, we need home games, and uh, the earlier the better. I think right now as it sits, we only have one home game scheduled till October. 
uh, and even for recruiting. Um, a lot of kids all made their decisions by then. We haven't had recruits on campus in almost a year and a half, two years. So I think we're looking at any and all options to try to uh, change the schedule to, to get more home games and get more home games early. Yeah, and we had Bill Moose on last week, and he did talk about they're trying to – they right now have Southeast Louisiana scheduled for a home game in November. They're trying to either move them to Labor Day weekend, which would be the normal week one, Ben, or find somebody else that could come here in week one. I mean, makes sense to me. I mean, I know the way the schedule was laid out with Ireland was going to be tricky. Now Ireland's off the table, so now you've got to try to readjust. So – Long answer to the question, but I know it's been a question in a lot of people's minds over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think the bottom line is, and I've been thinking about this a lot, If it, you could probably make a list of schools on one hand that would cause this amount of uproar if you tried to reschedule, and Oklahoma's probably the number one team on that list. You, you could definitely fill that list out with a couple of other schools that you know fans would get up in arms about. The fact that it's Oklahoma just – just it blew this thing up, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the only reason why this turned into such a huge deal. So I understand everything that Coach Frost said. I think everything makes sense. Um, however, you know, you start toying with the idea that, you know, you take a Nebraska-Oklahoma game off the table, we find out how people respond. And right. Coach Frost did say that his team wants to play that game. The players want to play in that game. They, the Unity Council got together and said, look, we want an opportunity to go compete in Norman. And they are, so let's move on. All right. Uh, the next biggest thing, and Tim had this in the ticker at the top of the show, and it was about special teams and that Mike Dawson is going to take over coordinating the special teams unit. He's still the outside linebackers coach as well. The, Mike Dawson was with this staff when they first came to Lincoln, left after year one to go take a position with the New York football giants, and then that staff got turned over and he came back to Nebraska last year. Uh, here was the coach talking about this move. Yeah, you know, last year we divvied it up to the entire coaching staff. Um, that that model was tough. That model was especially tough in a COVID year. Um, Mike Dawson's going to do it for us now. Um, he's been a special teams coach at a lot of different places and at the one, 1A level. Uh, so he's going to be the lead for us on all the special teams and, and certainly get a lot of help from the other assistants just like we had last year. But uh, Mike's going to take the lead on it and uh, as long uh, as well as coaching outside linebackers. So um, excited for, for much needed progress there. We talked about this in our opening uh, segment and I just think this is a really good move and I think you put one guy that kind of dedicates himself to it and has skin in the game, and Mike Dawson certainly does as a full-time assistant coach compared to just an analyst, and he can actually be on the practice field with him, be down on the sidelines with him during the games. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I applaud this move that Nebraska's making. Coach Frost talked about how football's four seasons. You have a winter conditioning season, which just came to an end last week. Then you have spring football season, which is about to happen, and it's not as long. Obviously, it's a little over a month long. And then you have the summer conditioning, and then you have the season. The winter conditioning is over, and he seemed very pleased with the results of that. Here's his talk about what happened over the last couple of months. They tested well. Um, I think we're probably Sam going to release uh, uh, a lot of the testing results, um, and and we'll get that probably out this week so people can have an idea of the the work that that Zach and his group did and the work the players did this off season. Um, I was really happy with the improvements we made. I think uh, Zach told me all but seven players on our whole roster 
improved in every single category of testing. Um, so that, that's quite a improvement across the board. Uh, we had some unbelievable numbers. Um, Deontay Williams broke the all-time Nebraska record in the agility run. Um, Oliver Martin had a 40-inch vertical jump and was the tops of that. Um, had some really good electronic 40 times and 10 times. Uh, so we'll get all kind of all those numbers out. Um, running backs did well. Um, ran some good 40s, had some really good agility numbers, uh, did a good job in the weight room. Uh, so uh, across the board, I was impressed with uh, the improvements that were made and, and the overall strength and athletic ability of our team. Since the press conference, Zach Duvall has tweeted out a little bit of the, some of the results. Damian Jackson was a weight room warrior, it looks like. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's good. I mean, all but seven guys, you're talking about over 100 athletes, all but seven improved on their numbers. That's that's pretty good ratio. Yeah, I mean, that's always the goal, right? You, I think fans get tired of hearing that. Bigger, faster, stronger is always the goal. And it feels great when you when you reach those goals. And I think the players, you know, when, when you know – you know you're you're getting tests you're tested and those results are getting published that's always kind of in the back of your head too you know what kind of work are you putting in compared to everybody else what kind of improvements are you being made so um you know not like uh i think jojo said it today it's not like you you need that extra motivation but it's nice to know you know on your bad days that it's there to kind of push you a lot of attention and rightfully so about the wide receivers and the coach was asked about Samari and, and Omar Manning's progress and this wide receiving group. Here's the head coach. Yeah, those are two guys, uh, Samari and Omar, that could do big things here. Um, really been impressed with Samari's approach uh, to coming in here. Uh, you can tell he's a, he's a veteran. Uh, he's a grown-up. He's really been a pro with his preparation and his work in the weight room and on on the field conditioning um he's going to make us better in the pass game uh we're going to start him off inside uh, and let him compete with a couple other guys uh, i think he's going to give us somebody that can can get down the field and give us a, a threat in the passing game from the slot uh, he's a bigger body that'll help us block and um, also be able to catch crossing routes and be a little bigger target for us in the slot. So I, I expect him to make us a better team. Um, been really impressed with Omar's progress and, and on top of a lot of other guys. Um, we just need Omar to be there every day and keep improving. His talent will take care of the rest. Uh, but like I talked about at that position, um, excited for Levi Falk and Oliver Martin and Xavier Betts. Uh, Will Nixon's back. Wyatt Leavers doing some really good things. Uh, Wyatt would have tied the all-time record for agility run at Nebraska had Deontay not beat it. So um, just a bunch of guys at, at that position that I'm excited to see compete in spring. Uh, Lante Brown tested great. Uh, so the, the talent's really good there, and, and I'm excited to see those guys compete. Deontay that he alluded to is Deontay Williams, who apparently tested off the charts the uh, one of the super seniors that came back for the Huskers on the defensive side of the ball. One thing that he slipped into that comment, Ben, that piqued my interest was bigger wide receivers should be, theoretically, better blockers, right? So when you're trying to run some of those slip screens, when you're trying to get your running game onto the outside and run on the edge, if you've got better, bigger blockers out there than five foot eight, five foot nine guys, that ought to help in a lot of the other areas other than just throwing a football down the field to them. Yeah, and I think one guy pops into mind that 
that I think was one of the better blockers that I can remember, you know, since that um, Rich Fisher led group back when Coach Polini was here. And he didn't put up the receiving stats that I think he would have hoped, and his Husker career ended in an injury. But Conavai Noah was a good blocker. I mean, there was a lot of people that wanted to downplay his importance to the team because he didn't catch a ton of passes and, you know, didn't catch a lot of touchdowns. But, you know, he was a, he was Nebraska's best blocking wide receiver, and it wasn't particularly close. And I and I feel like they need to get back to having some of that because Nebraska, I mean, r- remind me, Greg, I, it was the Illinois game and it might have been the Rutgers game where the first play from scrimmage were running a little swing pass and it gets blown up for one reason yeah. or another and we don't complete it. And one one's a turnover and one's nearly a turnover. So or I think maybe they were both turnovers. So you've got to find ways to block on the edge consistently in this offense if you want to run those types of plays um, because those types of plays are extensions of your running game. And if you don't have the guys out there that you can trust to hold a block for a second and a half to two seconds, play's going to get blown up. So, yeah, absolutely, it's 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 got to help. You just – even if you aren't as technically sound, they're bigger, so it's, it's going to require more effort just to get around them. So, you know, you hope that they're better blockers. You hope that they, you know, are more physical at the line of scrimmage, and um, you know, in some cases, meet man, beat man-to-man press better because they're just stronger. So, I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Quincy Anunwa was a great blocker. Brandon yeah, and Kenny, Kenny Bell. those guys, Kenny Bell, those guys were good blockers, and thus it helps your running game out and. When you're talking about we can't get runs to the edge, well, that's because you're not blocking guys. The the DBs and the safeties are getting off blocks and they're making tackles. But if you can hold your block, you give that back another crease to get through and another split second to get it downfield and turn a three-yard gain into an eight-yard gain or a ten-yard gain. So those are all uh, parts of that. Uh, The coach was asked about uh, his reaction when he heard last week that the Big Ten was loosening the belt on fans and turning turning it over to the local authorities, thus meaning Nebraska will have fans at their spring game May the 1st. Here was his response. Well, I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe that should be a local decision. Um, you know, we need to do what's best. We're kind of past the point where uh, we, we need to keep it all the same. Uh, everybody's struggling and uh, athletic departments need revenue, and, and fans are hungry to see uh, spring games and, and actual competitions. So I, I'm glad they made the decision they did. Um, I'm just, I just miss the fans. Uh, going through that year with no fans was rough. Uh, that's part of what makes Nebraska special is people filling Memorial Stadium and the Sea of Red. And um, I'm sure as many fans as we can have in the spring game, uh, they'll be there. And uh, really got our fingers crossed that uh, come September we have some home games and, and we're able to see a full stadium. Man, I really think that once once we have a, a stadium full of fans again or e- even partial attendance, it's going to kind of hit us harder than we think. And I, and the reason I say that is because the baseball series this weekend, you know, you and I were like, damn, there's only 2,700 people here. There seems like there's a lot more than that. You know, we – you're in empty venues and all of a sudden you start putting people out there. It just feels like a completely different game. And, and you, you wonder how you, you ever got, got by without them. So I would completely agree with coach Frost and it's going to be, you know, obviously amplified by a ton because there's a heck of a lot more people that see football than baseball, but we got a little taste of it this weekend and I can't wait for, you know, the football guys to get a taste of it when their spring game rolls around. 
I think it led to a Husker win, honestly, over the weekend. I think the first game of Saturday's doubleheader, the fans might have gotten that one to the finish line for the baseball boys. But I, I just think about how excited athletes are, and it's one of the main draws for Husker football is the fan base and a sold-out Memorial Stadium. And I, I, I guarantee you I think that factored into some of the transfers we had this past year. Just you get to Lincoln and you're so looking forward to those seven home Saturdays. And we had a couple home Saturdays, but they weren't normal because you didn't have anybody in there. And so it just it's not the same. Lincoln turns into something different when when Memorial Stadium lights up with red. And uh, so, yeah, even even a half full spring game crowd should be just uh, electric for everybody to be a part of on May the 1st. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Baseball Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Junior lefty kicks, deals a pitch, swing and a miss. Kate Povich has fan 10 and a new career-high outing. He's made it through seven shutouts here in the home opener. An in-depth look at the Nebraska baseball program. 1-0. Luke drills one to center field. Drifting back is Eastern Bertrand, racing in the gap, and it is gone. Home run, Luke Roskam. There's your big blow at Grand Slam here on the first. With the head coach, Will Bolt. Here's the 2-0 pitch. Chick hits a high fly ball to deep right field. That thing is tattooed. Where will it come down? Cam Chick just left the ballpark, and it's 6-0 Huskers. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Baseball Radio Show, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to our weekly sit-down with the head coach of the Cornhuskers, Nebraska fresh off of a four-game sweep over Minnesota over the weekend in front of a lively crowd all weekend long. It was great having the folks back at Haymarket Park. And Nebraska continues playing good baseball. And, Coach, you have to you had to like a lot of this weekend. You had to like the wind. You had to like the fact you had pretty good weather. And you had to love the fact you had fans in the stands. Yeah, all of it. It, it all set up uh, pretty well with, with us having some favorable weather, although we did battle a little bit of rain on Friday, but just um, you know, unseasonably warmer temperatures for this time of year. And, um, first home game in over a year and, and, and able the ability to have fans in the stands and provide some much needed, uh, just, I don't know, buzz for all of Husker sports. Just the ability to have uh, Husker nation right there in front of us was, that was a big deal. I really was impressed with Shea Shanneman. You and I talked before the game that it was a big start for him. He'd had a couple rocky starts in a row. What, what was different? What was special about Shea in yesterday's outing? Yeah, I think not only with Shea, but just uh, baseball is such a mental game at times where you can often read somebody's body language and, and pretty quickly tell uh, where their head's at. And not to say that Shea's head wasn't there in two previous outings, but I, I think there was just a lot less uh, of him uh, worried about anything else other than just executing his pitches and competing. I think at this point he was – he felt like he was just going to throw his best stuff up there and, and whatever happened, happened. And uh, I, I thought it was huge for him um, to to get off the field with a zero in the first inning um, after we had the uncharacteristic error to get him um, a runner third with one out. Um, to get out of that inning with, with no runs was huge. It, it set the tone for for how his outing was going to go, how that game was going to go. Uh, but I, I just think with him, it's his tempo – 
on the mound was much better. Um, he was just much more decisive in what he was doing. And again, you got to remember, I mean, this is only his fourth start of his college career. So he's still trying to figure out the ins and outs of, of how to ha- handle himself that way. So um, really proud of how he bounced back on Sunday for himself and the team. Yeah, that was a great point. 531-500-4686, the numbers if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire off a text. Let's start with a call. Bob and Lincoln, you're going to lead us off tonight. Good evening. Welcome to the program, and you're talking to the head baseball coach. Hey, Coach. Hey, it's great. It's great to be back. It was great. To, it was great. First time in about a year, almost a year that got to see you guys play, and it was awesome, and I loved it. Um you know, it reminds me a lot. This team reminds me a lot of your first and uh, second years with uh, Van Horn when he came in and how that program got turned around and how it's going in the right direction. And it reminds me a lot of that. And uh, I really appreciate it. Um, but I do have a question for you. Um, I was in the, I was in um, on the third base um, berm there when uh, you came out as soon as um, – I believe it was homework or uh, Cam Chick uh, had that uh, uh, catcher's interference. Uh, I saw you come right out of the uh, dugout at that point. Uh, what was it that um, that that happened that actually caused that to uh, be catcher interference? Uh, you know, it seems like the glove is always there all the time. But what was different about about at this time than than um, say? the previous thanks yeah so yeah thanks bob and and i appreciate uh the kind remarks and 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 your support and uh, i appreciate you being there and um as with all the fans that we had show up like i said it was it was great to see but uh as far as specifically with the catcher's interference um the, you know, the, we we felt like the catcher, their catcher, was pretty tight, tucked uh, up underneath some of our hitters. So it, it wasn't a huge surprise when it happened. And, and I want to say that I've seen it happen with Acker before as well. He he at times, um, you know, one of the way the reasons he's such a good two strike hitter is because he waits a really long time to make a decision on whether to swing or not. And, and sometimes. Um, you know, his he and his bat gets deep in the zone. Um, when he really retooled his swing here in the last eighteen months, his bat enters the zone uh, really deep. Um, you know, where the catcher is, you know, basically going to reach for the ball. So, what happened was it just deflected off the catcher's mid as his bat started to come into the strike zone, and um, it just—I think it was pretty apparent. Um, on our side, I mean, we, we heard it and saw it, not only myself, but all the players standing around me and, and Joe obviously knew that he hit the catcher's mid. So it, it wasn't, I didn't think it was a difficult call. Uh, the umpire behind the plate didn't see it uh, or hear it, but, but luckily when they, they all got together, um, uh, the first, I think the first base umpire was the one that, that ended up saying that he, that he heard it or saw it. So, that's kind of how that went down. Joe's Joe's bat just enters the zone, kind of at the very back, um, and and I've seen him do that before. And um, it was it was enough to to slow his bat down through the zone, and it was a big part of the game. I was a three two count. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like all of Joe's at bats go to a three two count, but uh, big part of the game. It got us it got us started on a rally. I believe we um, we seized the momentum with a hit and run right behind it as first and third, uh, and and we were off to the races with a big inning. 
Yeah, there was, there was one out already in the inning when that happened. So, yeah, that definitely got that inning jump-started for you. Bob referenced Dave Van Horn. We have a text from John in Omaha. He says, what from Coach Van Horn do you take on to the practice for playing field every day? Oh, I would say just the, the relentless attitude of uh, of just winning the day, um, just – having a mindset that no matter what happens, that we're going to do whatever we can to, to improve um, daily. And, and when you do that, you don't really let a lot of outside noise creep in. You just, you kind of just put your blinders on, so to speak, and you, and you just show up and put the work in and, and you just do it over and over and over again. That just becomes your, that becomes your, um, your daily routine. And that's, that's the way things were. Um, you know, when I played for Dave, um, if you weren't mentally tough, you weren't going to make it. Um, I mean, it just—it was basically this is what's expected of you. Um, you're you're going to do it, and we're going to do it, and this is the way it's going to get done. And um, you know, that that's just that that permeated throughout the entire team. Just his his day to day attitude of um, just a winning mentality, and uh, that's something that. I certainly um, w- was cut from that cloth just as a player. It probably allowed me to play above my talent level um, as a college baseball player and, and to have a coach like that. And um, so it's really um, was kind of a seamless transition for me once I started coaching. That That's what I learned, but that's also um, what I had to do to survive as a player. So um, I, I would say just that every day, win the day, um, put the work in mentalities is what, you know, I took from him. John, appreciate the text. Our Husker baseball show brought to you by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit us at buyfordnow.com. Back on our text line, Eric and Lincoln, is the strategy the same or different when you play a seven-inning game? Do you have to manage the game differently at all? That is a great question. I I would say the game is managed differently. Um, It's, it's funny. It's only two innings shorter. Um, but you just feel like in that seven inning game, you know, it's only the fourth inning and it's, it's the late innings. So you, you just, you don't have the middle innings part of the game. And, and that urgency was there. Um, normally we would let Roach probably have a shot to try to pitch out of that first and third jam there. Um, I, I didn't like the matchup. It was a left-handed hitter up. I believe it already gotten a hit off of him. Um, and the the four hole was open because we had a runner at first base. I felt like the matchup was there to go to Martin uh, because I felt like he had less of a chance to probably pull a ball off Martin um, into that four hole. So if it was a nine inning game, I mean, chance would certainly have still been in there. Um, and um, it just, because the, there's no middle innings, it just becomes, you know, the late innings pretty quickly in those games. You do have to, I feel like you've got to play to take the early lead even more so than most games. You've got to maybe play for a run and inning a little bit more um, in those games as well. And, um, and yeah, manage the bullpen uh, with, with a, maybe a little bit more sense of urgency in those seven-inning games than, than you have the luxury of doing in the nine-inning games. Okay, very good. Another text. This is from Tim up in Minnesota. He said, Joe Acker took home successfully on a shallow fly. What did you see on that play? And that's pretty odd to be able to score from that shallow and right. That's one of the things we pride ourselves on is is being fearless on the bases and, and playing a brand of baseball that's 
going to push the envelope and make make the opponents um, make a play on us. And I, I felt like, you know, the way the wind was blowing a little bit that day, I, I certainly was hoping the second baseman was going to go out and catch it and be on his heels. And I, I thought that we might have a shot. Uh, when the right fielder came in and made the catch, um, you know, he, he wasn't full head of steam with, some, with something behind him to make this throw, but it was an off, awfully shallow fly ball. Um, but I think just the decision being made and, and, not, and no hesitation whatsoever on Joe's part and, and a great send there by Coach Harville uh, was just to take a, take a shot there. I mean, we ask our, our players to, um, to play fearlessly and to play to win, and that was one of those moments where, you know, we didn't want to be standing there uh, with two outs and a runner at third base hoping for a hit to score a run. We, we pushed the envelope there, and I think we caught the right fielder by surprise. And, um, you know, Joe, Joe did a nice job of getting in there. And like I said, Coach Arvell made a, a great decision right there to, to just, um, I guess, set the, te- the tone for the game where we were just we were going to play to win and we were going to play on our toes. Back to our text line, John says, Coach, did, does your department have equipment for measuring things like velocity, rotation, bat speed, bat path, angle? If so, how much does that influence your coaching style and your game plan? Yeah, that's a good question. We we do have um, a lot of things that, that measure those metrics. Um, one of them on field is called TrackMan, um, and it's basically a, a radar-type system where um, they got to come in and they they basically uh, calibrate it to to figure out exactly how it needs to fit on the field to measure everything that happens and what we can get from that is uh, precise uh, velocity from the pitchers their spin rate um, the the break on the pitches um, and then the exit velocity of all the balls that are hit that are, that are put in play. Um, and those things are tracked. We have Evan Hellman, our director of player personnel, um, is kind of heads that up, and he tracks that stuff. And we also have a couple of managers that help with it on game day as well. But um, those are things that that we can get that give us, we, and we can get that that information immediately. He, that's sent to our our inboxes right after ball games, so we know exactly where each guy's velos are at, how many balls we hit at a certain. Um, exit velocity and then for practice settings um, we've got um, in the cages we've got a couple different things we can use one of them is hitting wrap soto which will measure uh, launch angle exit velocity um, that actually measures the spin of, of the ball off the bat as well um, so it probably gives you more accurate indication of of how far you hit the ball um, we have another one uh, called hit tracks that that basically just measures the exit velocity and launch angle and gives you a distance based on that. It does not take spin into account. So if you top spin a ball um, at a certain exit velocity and, and launch angle, it doesn't necessarily pick that up. So, But it does give you a general idea of how hard you hit the ball. And then from a pitching standpoint, the pitching rap Soto measures the spin uh, on the ball, the, the velocity, the shape of the pitches, and those things are all calculated right then and there, and you can you can look at those in real time on an iPad. Um, so, and we we do use it. Um, I would say it's just it's a tool in the tool belt that, that we can use. I don't think it's certainly not something that's an end all be all. Um, it, it helps with from a recruiting standpoint if we have camps to get some data on different players. Um, it helps 
us maybe uh, if a guy consistently has lower exit velocity than usual, um, maybe there's a, something that we're not seeing mechanically in his swing um, that, that's leading to that that would kind of alert us to that. And then on the mound, just um, different types of things we can pick up on, just shape of breaking ball. If guys are working on certain pitches, it, it, it measures those type of things and allows us to um, get some informed data to help help those guys uh, if need be. So I, I would say we certainly use it. It's definitely not – it can become paralysis by analysis. I mean, we, we still yeah. like to use a little bit of the old school mixed with the new school. Um, so I'd say it's definitely a part of it as are the analytics as well. Uh, but a lot of it still comes down to attitude, approach, uh, how competitive you are on the mound and in the box, and, um, and how confident you are. It's amazing how, how much that has has in, infiltrated itself into the game over the last two decades. I also know that Nebraska has what's the NAPL. It's the Nebraska Athletic Performance Lab. And I, I've seen some social media clips during your guys' offseason of your athletes being over and doing some things over there. How has that benefited you? And that's a thing that's fairly new to the university is that NAPL lab. Yeah, Dr. Chris Bach and his staff are amazing. I mean, they are they're they're top notch. I mean, we're we're one of a kind in that and having an APL they're available for our pitchers and hitters and we've done it for base running. Um we get baseline assessments um it, you know, for pitchers it, it helps um if there's any red flag indicators for injuries. Um you know, the, the hitters, you get to see uh, basically the biomechanics of the swing, and they have staff members that kind of help us um, understand the data and, and what we're looking at and and those type of things. So, yeah, we, we certainly are, are – we're not needing or wanting for anything at the University of Nebraska for as far as player development goes. I mean, we have every uh, tool there that, that can help our guys develop um, beyond just – the batting cages and, and the baseball field and, and the facilities. Great stuff. Buckle up and put that phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Back to our text line. Dennis and Lincoln, coach, on your relief pitchers, how do you decide who they are for any particular game? Does Jeff Christie come and say that, well, we need to get this guy in today? How does that work? Yeah, Jeff and I are in constant communication um, going into each game and kind of how we see it. Um, based on lineup and based on um, availability of guys and, and those type of things. And, uh, you know, a lot of it, too, is, is what we see, you know, in the bullpen setting and, and some of the live at-bat settings in, in the midweek um, as well. And, and just those, those all those things go into it. And, and we, we have those discussions before the game. We, we have a general idea of how we feel like we're, the game is going to go. Um, and then we we kind of sort of loosely mapped out, and then uh, as the game presents itself, uh, it, it may throw us a, a bit of a curveball in there, so to speak, but um, we generally have a, a pretty defined plan going into each game as to what a, you know what guys we might might and might not use, and we were uh, you know there at the end of, of Sunday's game. I mean, it was crazy. We would have never guessed in a million years that we would have gotten to game four and not pitch Max Schreiber and Caleb Seekin at all because those yeah. guys have been, um, you know, Max has, has gotten himself going a little bit, and, and Seekin's been pretty good for us too. So um, it's funny as much as you feel like you might map it out and have an understanding of the way it's going to go. Um, sometimes you just – the game doesn't – the situation doesn't present itself. I mean, Cam Wynn didn't throw 
at the Iowa weekend, but he was up in the bullpen a couple of different times. So it just, it's the life of a relief pitcher. You just got to stay on call, stay ready. And, you know, sometimes you may feel like you get your number called all the time. And sometimes you feel like, you know, you've gone a, a few games without it. So uh, those guys just got to stay, stay mentally locked in. You were able to get a lot of different guys some at-bats and some playing time, and that's got to make you feel good. I mean, some situations just don't lend itself to ha- that happening, but you got some games that got out of hand this weekend, and you were able to get some guys some playing time, and I think that's always good for morale, isn't it? It is, and it is important to go ahead and cash in on some of those innings when you have the opportunity to do it. And, you know, we were – we kind of got in a situation on Friday where we felt like we left a lot of runs out there where we could have potentially set up our bullpen a little bit better for the rest of the weekend had we cashed in on some of those situations. And, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. You, you you don't necessarily think about it in the moment. It's like you just take it as a, you know, you get a, a six-run victory or whatever it was on Friday, um, and, you, and you love it because you win and you play good, but you also – you know, if you just go ahead and cash in on those situations and you, you stretch the lead, you can throw some other guys or you can, you know, get some other guys at bats at the front of the weekend a little bit earlier. But yeah, it was good to good to see that happen on Saturday where we were able to get, you know, Banjoff in there. We've been trying to pick our spots to, to get him a, a, an opportunity because he's a heck of a player um, and, and, and Logan Foster as well and Mojo and some of these guys that are battling for at-bats and Gunnar Hellstrom, um, again, a, a guy that's played an awful lot of college baseball to this point that hadn't had an at-bat or an inning this, this year. So uh, those guys have all worked hard. They're great teammates. And, uh, you know, the game usually has a way of paying you back um, when you go about your business that way. When your, your offense is so diverse and, and so good, and we've talked about the length of your lineup day in and day out, when you when you have a game where it doesn't quite click, it almost surprises us. And that happened game one of the doubleheader on Saturday. And I guess you tip your cap to a certain degree to the lefty from from, from Minnesota. But what did you see in that game that kind of held you down until you had that big sixth inning? Well, they didn't give us any free bases. Um, that that's certainly part of it. They they played tremendous defense. They only not only did they not make any mistakes, but they made some pretty good pretty good plays on the dirt. Uh, their pitcher did a nice job of limiting the free passes, with, whether it be the walk or the hit by pitch. Um, and we just he just got us to hit a lot of pull side ground balls, and you know we just couldn't get the ball elevated on him. Um, he mixed his locations. I thought the changeup was probably better than we maybe had seen on film and, and he, he kind of got that pitch going along with the breaking ball, which has always kind of been his, one of his better offerings. So I, I just thought he did a nice job of, he had a three pitch mix going. He's pitching to both sides of the plate. Um, and we just couldn't quite break through uh, until late there where we had a couple hits in a row. Um, I think Max Anderson and Roscombe had a couple hits mm-hmm. in a row to set up that beginning. Yep. Yeah, that got you jump started, and then and then you put the pressure on them, and then they did make some mistakes, and that certainly helped you out and got you got you the win in game one of that doubleheader. That'll put a wrap on tonight's show. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, to all of you for being a part of this one. Enjoy tonight. We're back with you again tomorrow. Good night.